Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by my good friend Aaron Murphy. We always have a lot of fun when we get to sit down and record an episode and talk about different topics. Today, specifically, we talked about the legal cases against Donald Trump recently and should they be allowed to exclude him from the ballots in any of these states, I think in particular Colorado right now. But those types of uh, conversations we had today with Aaron, who is, of course, an attorney. Really appreciate Aaron coming on. If you're a fan of The Kelly Patrick Show, I ask, please send me some health insurance referrals. The two types of business I really write is uh, people going on to Medicare, or if you're already on Medicare, I can help you with um, at least giving you good advice. And if there's a chance for a sale, of course, I'll make it. But uh, also group health insurance. So if you have a business, maybe even just two employees, you want to see if you can get health insurance, try to get some good quotes for coverage for yourself and your employees. That would be a great referral for me also. The details for the sponsors of the show are as follows. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in in today's episode. We are joined by returning guest. We have Aaron Murphy back in studio. Mr. Murphy, how are you today? Buddy, it's great to be back. I'm doing well. Would you prefer I introduced you like Esquire or what would the proper introduction have been? All right. No, um, I hate I hate things like that. Um, I am an attorney, but there's been lots of lots of conversations back and forth. I think it may even be litigated whether or not attorneys could call themselves doctor. And so, really, well, but here's the thing. All right, the reason attorneys don't usually go by the emolument doctor is that it used to be a bachelor's degree, and then it got moved up to being a doctor degree as the degree got longer, and so. My, you know, one of my first bosses um, had a bachelor of law degree, you know, and I have a juris doctor degree, but attorneys don't need bigger egos. All right. So we don't need any more emoluments. We just need to be regular people sometimes. Okay. In fact, one of my professors, when we 
were engaging in complex legal inquiry over the situations that happened, he would always say, well, what would your mother say? And sometimes we need to be a little more grounded as attorneys and say, you know, just what would a regular person who looks at this, a regular reasonable person, and so we can really um, use our superior logic and reasoning to really get ourselves into a hole, um, which is probably a good setup for what we're going to talk about today because it's going to involve a lot of legal analysis and some complex reasoning. But anyway, no, you just call me Aaron, please. Okay. I know you're not on social media, Aaron. No, been off for five years, loving it. I remember back when you were on, I mean, I don't remember a whole lot. You were never like super active. Right. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't getting on there and doing the crazy stuff that Tim Gar and I do. I, yeah, I'll take your word for it. You're, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I recently made a Kelly Patrick po- Politics Discussion Facebook group. We have a whopping 57 members. That's pretty good, actually. Okay. Um, and I made a post today. Okay. And I said, today I'm doing an episode with Aaron Murphy. He's a local attorney, very sharp guy. He is a Democrat. We're going to discuss the multiple current court cases against Donald Trump. Should Trump be removed from ballots, etc.? Thoughts, questions for uh, suggestions for questions we should address. So I opened it up and I tried to get a little bit of uh, involvement there. <laughs> and I'm going to read the only person who commented thus far. All right. You don't have to tell me who it was. I'm sure he thinks nobody is above the rule of law, that the DOJ and FBI are acting with integrity to faithfully uphold the law and, quote, hashtag MAGA, are cultists. <laughs> wait, wait, let me finish. So to answer your there. question, yes, tell him to go blink, blank himself. God. And I sincerely mean that. That's what he said. Okay. So the well, reason I wanted to... to br- unpack there. There's a lot to there's unpack lot to there. Unpack I'll there. shut up. You tell me. All right. So I did not believe we were going to talk about the Department of Justice and the FBI today. I no, thought we were going to talk about the court cases and whether Trump should be on the ballot or not. Yeah, so I, 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 and the, 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 but my, my post... I can't... I can't what really I said was we are discussing the multiple current court cases against Donald Trump. I didn't... So I... Okay, right? so I guess this person isn't completely ignorant. Uh, they could have just misunderstood your question. The Department of Justice and FBI. So are they, uh, is the FBI involved with these Trump uh, uh, cases? That's a good question from a legal person. Because I don't know. I see a courthouse. I'm like, oh, there's lawyers in there. I don't know anything beyond that. So, no, not the ones that are coming up right now. The FBI was involved in raiding Mar-a-Lago and taking out boxes and boxes and boxes, supposedly, of classified documents. Uh, they were also in- involved in getting the classified documents from Joe Biden's office. And there was a special counsel's report from Robert Hur that came out I think about a week ago or so, um, declining to prosecute Joe Biden because in it, I mean, I don't want to overstate what the report said, but they questioned his mental acuity and mm. said that he would present the uh, a doddering, being a doddering old man, and they didn't believe that he had the competency to be that. a defendant in the case. Now, um, so a lot of people are looking at that from different perspectives. Joe Biden um, and Jill Biden specifically were very upset about that characterization. But the flip side of that coin was, I guess if you're saying, no, I really am competent, you should prosecute me, that's not a great argument either. But uh, that's not what you're here to talk so, about. So I think that he was assuming, Brian Fox is the guy who commented. He I was assuming. Fox, he do don't know. He, 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 he doesn't train, does he? He doesn't train with us. Uh, no, nope, nope. Yeah. And and then he said, in fairness to Mr. Murphy, I agree many Trumpers are indeed cultists. 
So I like that I did, the way I framed the question was not acknowledging that Aaron Murphy is a Democrat. However, you have shown propensity in the past to be opening to at least hearing what RF, you didn't immediately blackball RFK for turning against the Democratic establishment. You are, uh, you identify as a Democrat. However, within that, it's not like you're always happy with the Democratic Party. I don't really identify as a Democrat. Um, Am I exaggerating? Do I say that you are a Democrat too much? Have I gotten carried away with that? Thank you for adding me. I am a registered Democrat. That is true. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Anybody could look that up. But I do support a lot of various candidates. I have given money to uh, Democrats. I've given money to uh, Rand Paul. Uh, Wow. I I like Rand Paul a lot. And I'll tell you, one of the things, and I, I said this to Rand Paul in our first conversation, I said, you know, one of the things that's very important to me is the Seventh Amendment to the Constitution. Um, you know what the Seventh Amendment is, right? Off the top of my head, I was doing an episode yesterday. Someone was talking about, let me see, what is it? I don't. Well, it's the right to trial by jury. Okay, okay. And that's a big, you know, a big attorney talking point, a big lawyer thing. And so we've all got this issue. We've all got an issue, right? And if you're a Second Amendment person, well, then you're Republican, right? And if you're a Seventh Amendment person, well, then you're a Democrat. And if you're, you know, and... So where you stand determines where you sit, and where you sit determines where you stand. Um, I do like the Constitution, and I did very poorly in constitutional law, by the way, um, because, as many people point out, there's no definition for what the Constitution really means except what the Supreme Court says. And if you get one justice writing, you might get one opinion, and another one, um, you get a different one. And so, yeah, no, I, I am registered as a Democrat, although um, I, I really don't like the idea of teams, and we've gotten so far polarized in this country. Wow. And I think that any time you wind up in a conversation and you start suspecting the other person of being on a team, mm. you got to look back at yourself and say, well, then what does that make me? And so I, anytime I feel like there's a person who's going one direction or the other, I got to say, well, wait. Why are they taking this? So I did an impromptu poll. I didn't do a Facebook um, group, but I went around my office this morning. And oh, I, said, I love this. Okay. I said, hey, uh, first impression, did Donald Trump engage in insurrection and should he be on the ballot? And I got one person said, yes, absolutely. And no, he should not be on the ballot. And so then we went through a couple laws and a couple things like that. And, you know, he's a lawyer and he was telling me, you know, why he thinks that. I was like, great, okay, thank you for your opinion. Can I guess as to who that guy was? Uh, you don't know this guy. Okay. And then I went to another guy who you don't know as okay. well, and I said, hey, first impression. And he said, yes, he did, and no, he should not. And so, Yes, he did. No. Okay, so they both thus far yeah, are saying did. Trump should be, right. for, for specifically January 6th. Right, and I, so I said, okay, well, I just need to check your bias here. Who should he be replaced with? He said, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, he did not even know the name or couldn't come up with one, I mean, I assume he could later, of any single Republican, leading Republican, okay? Now, the person who was standing right next to him said, hey, well, I think Chris Christie should have replaced him. And I was like, oh, God. And I said, well, look, and I said, at least you knew somebody's name, okay? Yeah, yeah, so he was on the debate stage. Right, and so if you're saying, no, Trump should not be on the ballot, I want to know specifics. I want to know why from a legal perspective, okay? And maybe this is tedious and maybe it's boring. Maybe some people are just like, nah, get him out of here. That's not good enough, all right? It's not good enough to just say, oh, well, I don't like something that person did. Even if you're right that that person did something really bad. And that per- that 
and I'll play devil, I'll wear the other hat now, that thing happens to be a coup against our government. Well, a lot of people- An attempted coup. They were trying to take over the whole government. So, I mean, if it's that thing, you can't treat this with, with anything less than the, the most extreme version of the law is what they would say. If you're attempting to overtake our entire government, that's a big deal. Should be addressed. Well, maybe. That's a strong maybe. And here's why. All right. You said there's a coup going on. Um, can you give me the section of law where mm. that's that's found? Can you give me the definition under the law of what crime that is? A coup. What is the definition of a coup? Isn't it French word? Probably. It means um, to overthrow an existing government, right? Okay. Is, is that what it means? That's, we both agree that's kind of the definition? Well, I'm not agreeing to anything. <laughs> I love it. I and, love it. And, and here's why. Okay. So I'm I'm going to use terms like that they're using in the cases. Okay. So such as insurrection. All right. And kind of the jumping off point for what I want to talk about here today is we've got this case in Colorado. Right. And the case in Colorado is kind of spearheading the um, debate and the question before the Supreme Court of the United States right now, which is did Donald Trump engage in an insurrection and then should he be on the ballot? And we've got basically what's come down to the 14th Amendment, all right, which has a, um, a provision there, which just going off of memory, I'm not reading it right now, but it says that any officer of the United States who then engages in an insurrection or gives aid and comfort to the enemies of the United States shall not be eligible for further office, Okay. And so this first came in front of a district court judge, a United States district court judge in Denver. Her name was Sarah Wallace, and she penned a 102-page opinion on this, okay? Now, I did read it, but I'm not saying that I have every single detail memorized. And it was a very interesting analysis because she was the only fact finder in this opinion. And she went through several things, and she said, okay, did Donald Trump engage in an insurrection. Now, what she hung a lot of her opinion on was the testimony of experts who said that Donald Trump communicates with his extremist supporters in ways that normal people wouldn't pick up on. Okay, But as a lawyer, whenever somebody is relying on experts, experts are only permissible when it's something that ordinary people wouldn't understand. But courts have also been very careful in allowing too many experts because most we have this system of trial by jury which means the jury brings their common sense to the courtroom okay but if you bring in an experts you say well yeah you would think this is okay but i'm going to tell you why it's not okay in some situations i can go too far i can see that i mean you, you just to stay on this topic somewhat if trump says make america great again and people are like aha dog racist dog whistle Racist, that was a racist, that's how he communicates with his extremist supporters. He said, make America great again. That in itself was racism. Well, right, because it's not even make America great again, it's just MAGA. MAGA, right? MAGA, yeah. MAGA folks, MAGA yes. folks. And that is very dangerous because it's polarizing. It's just painting people with a broad brush, right? All those red hats over there. There's some reference to 1984 or something in there somewhere, like where you're, 
what you say is, I don't know what the exact quote, but it's to the point where you, you, what you're saying is maybe Trump is saying one thing, although he means something else. How are we supposed to determine that? Are they suggesting alternative, like secretive Discord servers or something? Is that what they mean? Or they I mean, mean dog whistle type stuff? Um, I think it'd be more dog whistle type stuff. And they went through several, you know, instances of this. You know, one of the famous ones is Trump said, he said, stand stand back and stand by. And some groups started making, you know, the t-shirts with that. Right. But in all of these things, and then there was this um, incident where I think it was a white supremacist drove a vehicle and killed somebody. Mm-hmm. And Trump said, oh, well, I'm sure there's good people on both sides. And... In each one of the situations, I don't think his messaging was right at all. I think he was being sloppy and intentionally so. I think, and I think that's what you see with Trump is a pattern of, of intentionally being sloppy, intentionally being sloppy, and then trying to spin everything to his benefit. Okay. And then if things go wrong, he's like, oh, well, I didn't know. I mean, well, oh. I mean, that's politics. He's arguably really good at politics. Right. And if you read his book, Art of the Deal, I mean, it's all about keeping people off balance, right? Off I've balance. actually read that book. And have that, you? I have not. Okay. Okay. I've not read the book, but I've heard a lot of people say that that is the way to understand his political style. Okay. And so I think that you can see that pattern but he just keeps pushing the boundary, pushing the boundary, pushing the boundary. And then if things blow up, he's like, oh, I didn't mean for that to happen. Well, I mean, now people are kind of saying, well, you've overplayed your hand because you knew things were going to happen. Now, I don't believe that it was shown in this case that he had any sort of secret understanding about what these words meant. It's he uses words and people pick up on it and he's like, oh, well, that's good for me. All right. So I don't know that he... If he says, hey, you know, you protect our, you know, protect the, you know, election, the election's being stolen, you know, some somebody who hates Donald Trump would say, well, he absolutely knew people were going to go out there and do bad things. And the specific bad thing that everybody keeps focusing on is going to the Capitol to try to stop the certification of the vote, which is not a good thing, okay? Um, interfering with the transfer of power in the United States, that's, I mean, that's criminal okay however is it is it engaging in insurrection and so what i would argue is that it is not actually all right um there's a difference and judge wallace points this out in her opinion in inciting insurrection and engaging in insurrection okay and she says inciting is not enough all right um it's a lot easier to say that somebody's inciting though than engaging and some of the and the problem here is a lot of these words are self-defined. And I'll give you a, a great... Or I can a, see where inciting is different than engaging. Yeah, according to Judge Wallace, it is. Um, so I'm going to give you a, you know, section US, uh, 18 U.S. Code uh, 2383, Rebellion or Insurrection. And this says, whoever incites, sets foot, assists, or engage in any rebellion or insurrection. Wait, we just use the words in the definition of the word. So what is a rebellion or insurrection? Okay. And you get all sorts of commentary on this, and I mean, I don't, I don't think it's incredibly opaque. I mean, I mean, I think it's violent, you know, trying to violently overthrow the United States government. But are you inciting that? Or are you engaging in it? And so, some of the political comment, um, legal commentary I've read says you have to actually be engaging in the acts. Mm. Which, in the case of, and everybody knows, this was a section created after the Civil War to address members of the government who'd gone and served in the Confederacy and engaged in warfare. Okay, so that's easy. All right, that's an easy one when we see that. Now, the thing that I think 
more accurately describes what Donald Trump is quote-unquote guilty of or could be guilty of. And I even hate to say guilty because nobody has ever subjected Donald Trump to a jury trial on any of these crimes, okay? We've had Judge Wallace issue an opinion, and we'll get to more of that in a second because it's really interesting the way she did it. And she did a thorough job. I'm not going to say I agree with all of her um, conclusions, but she did a thorough job. It's 102 pages long. Um, is she a Democrat or a Republican? I don't know. <laughs> um, I have no idea. How. That's a silly, uh, 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 obvious. Which, uh, you were talking about teams yeah, earlier. Which, but which team is she on? Yeah. So, I, yeah, I didn't look at who appointed her. You know, I, I didn't. Because, you know, in one sense, I don't think it matters. It shouldn't matter. Because we're all It's Americans, in Colorado. Right? It's in Colorado, a very purple state. But she's in Denver, you know, so I don't know. Um, but when you get back to what is insurrection, I think if you look at the definition of seditious conspiracy, that is much more closely to what you see a lot of the actions that Donald Trump did. And I think that fits much better. But when we get to a case that has been adjudicated, I don't even know what legal standard there is. And like I said, it's 102 pages long. If somebody could text me and say, hey, you missed the, uh, the standard of review... I'd be happy to know whether she applied a standard which is clear and convincing evidence, preponderance of the evidence, or beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, if you said to me, okay, well, I think there's probable cause to believe that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection, I'd say, okay, well, probable cause is a pretty low standard. I mean, that maybe he did. I mean, if somebody sees you walking out of a convenience store and the clerk just made a call that somebody came and robbed them, there'd be probable cause to stop you and maybe arrest you and ask you, you know, what's going on and investigate you and but you're not guilty. Mm. You're not guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. You know, and so it's it's one of those things is which standard are we using and applying here and who is deciding, okay? Now, I want to get back uh, to a little bit of Judge Wallace's opinion, but who is deciding is a big factor, and that's actually what the, I'm going to predict what the Supreme Court is going to do and why they're going to do it, okay? And I'm going to tell you exactly What's going to happen? I hate predicting things in the future about what the Supreme Court's going to say, but I'm going to tell you exactly what the Supreme Court's going to do and what they're going to say, okay? And I'm going to tell you why. But uh, when you get back to Judge Wallace's opinion, she basically held that Donald Trump did engage in, a, in an insurrection, but he could not be kept off the ballot because he did not meet, he did not meet the definition of officer of the United States. And they use several other hmm. cases and codes that the president is not an officer. Now, I think I don't I don't agree with that. I think that's wrong. Okay. That argument is wrong. Yes. I and the Colorado Supreme Court overturned her on that point, which then basically meant they kept in place her analysis of that he did engage in an insurrection and now he's an officer, so he can be kept off the kept off the uh, Colorado ballot. But when you get to you know who is an officer, it goes back to the problem of these definitions. You'd think, well, who is an officer of his company? Is the president well, he's the chief executive you know, officer, right? Well, the president is the chief executive, right? But I, we don't usually say officer. But what is an officer? I mean, does it have to be like a person in the army who is an officer? We call those people officers. So they're officers and the other guys are enlisted or non-commissioned officers. But they're still officers. You know, who's an officer and who's not? Well, I think there's a, a much broader definition to officer of the government. I think you know it when you see it. This guy's, you know, holds an office. Is the president an office? Yeah, of course he is. So I think she got it wrong, and I think the reason she did that was because she didn't want to be the judge who held him off the ballot. Mm. And courts do this all the time. They say, yeah, you know, you were right on all these issues, but on this 
purely procedural thing, you lose. Or, she was kind of admitting, yeah, Democrats, he did the, the bad thing. However, due to this technicality, we can't keep him off the ballot. So she was trying to play both sides. So they call that splitting the baby. Okay. Now, it's good to always remember that the person who is famous for splitting the baby didn't actually split the baby, okay? The baby was intact and lived. But every judge since has been like, well, I'm just going to split the baby on this one. That's not a good thing to do. That doesn't make you a great judge. Not having to split the baby makes you a great judge. But that's lost on the legal community. So, Judge Wallace issued this opinion and said he did engage in the insurrection a lot because of what he said and how people took it and he knew that it was going to go stop this um, you know, transfer of, you know, peaceful transfer of power. And the problem is he didn't engage in any violent acts and she doesn't say he engaged in any violent acts. But if you look at the legal commentary, it says you got to engage. And she says it's not incitement, it's engaging. And so then... And you're like, well, yeah, but I mean, not everybody who, you know, participates in a drug deal actually has to have drugs. Right. But this wasn't a drug deal. This was an insurrection, which is the violent overthrow of the government. And if you're not doing those acts of violence, are you, well, he could be conspiring, he could be inciting, but is he engaging? And so I think that's a hard thing. But there are some people who have no trouble saying, oh, yeah, he should be, get him out of here. Um, that should be viewed as a, like a dangerously slippery type slope. I identify as a libertarian. I lean more right, I admit. But uh, the teams thing is real dangerous. And if you have one team who can just start to say like, well, they, they just were, that's kind of what that is. It is. And, you know, one of the things that I learned from one of my favorite professors in law school is you have to know your own biases. And there are some cases that you just shouldn't take. What are your biases, Aaron Murphy? Well, I will tell you one, one of the things that is my bias. I am very biased towards people who are injured in accidents, okay? And so I take cases from people who are injured in accidents. You feel actual satisfaction when someone is injured wrongly and you help them. You, you are personally satisfied when you help them to make somewhat right or wrong. Well, I don't feel satisfaction when they're injured. Okay. Okay. So the, <laughs> you're giving me a look, but when they're in a bad situation, that's where you find your job to be fulfilling. Is you can come in and help someone who was hurt. You can help make their situation better. That's where you find your work to be fulfilling, which you clearly do. I love helping other people, okay. and so much so that I believe in baseball they have a saying that tie goes to the runner. I think that if there's a tie in the law, that it should go to the individual, not the company, not the insurance company. Um, I think the tie should go to the individual. Now, some people will point out, well, that's not really the law, Aaron. Um, actually, the person bringing the case has the burden of proof, and they got to prove it by a preponderance of the evidence, which is at least 51%. So if the, the tie actually goes to the defendant, well, I have a bias there. I think that this person, you know, deserves a little help because I know how much the system is stacked against them, how so much of the evidence they wanted to bring was kept out, how at every turn they're ruled against. All right. I know that they are truly the little guy. And for them to be able to make it in court, I mean, is a phenomenal burden. And so, you know, I, I have a bias towards the little guy, towards the That's victim. a good answer for a personal injury attorney. Well, it is, but how, how then, then should this... So if you came to me and said, hey, um, you know, I, I got drunk last night and I ran my car through a, um, a crowd of people and two of them are dead and oh one God. of them is, you know, pretty mangled, but um, I need you to defend me on this. Now, you might, you, and you might look at me and be like, man, that's a horrible situation. No attorney. There's lots of attorneys who would take that case and lots of attorneys who would not care. 
And I'm not even critical of them in the sense that that person who drove drunk through a crowd of people, and I'm being extreme, I'm making a stream case for the point, they deserve an attorney. Same thing with a serial killer. Same thing, everybody deserves their legal rights. I might not be the best person to help them defend those rights because I might say, you know, I find myself really, really, really having a lot of empathy for those people who died. And you're not a defense attorney. I'm not a defense attorney. That's why. Is because I would be bad in that role. Would you accept any defense attorney type case? I have, I have done a couple for friends. And if I'm like, this is clearly ridiculous. They're getting sued. Um, and I tell them, hey, look. And they know. I, I write them in writing. Hey, I might not be the best attorney for this. They're like, no, no, no. I want to use you anyway. I know. And so I've done like less than five of those cases. And it's been very clear. But I'm not the guy you call, um, you know, in just any situation. We're like, hey, I'm getting sued. And, you know, I might have done something wrong. And But there's lots of different. I'm giving you in the injury context. That's the area I work. You know, there's lots of different places where people get sued and I really could care less. I could represent either side. If you're like, well, it's a construction case and, you know, we did this. And I did represent some builders one time and they, it wasn't builders. No, it was the opposite. It was the guys who contracted with the builders and the builders sued them and they were the defendants and they were alleging that they didn't pay and they said, oh, these guys, you know, I mean, I could have represented either side in that case. We took it to trial and, um, you know, it was kind of a dog fall either way. But um, yes, I do have biases. Everybody has biases. If somebody says, I'm not biased, that person is so biased, they don't even realize how biased they are. Would you say there's similarities? I think in, uh, I looked, I was reading earlier about similar types of things. And in 1901, the president was murdered, right? I believe that was McKinley, right? Yeah, McKinley was murdered. And he, uh, the guy who murdered McKinley. Leon said, Shogosh, right? Oh, okay, okay. Um, he cited Emma Goldman, a famous anarchist, as his inspiration Mm. <laughs> for the assassination. Have they talked have they talked recently? <laughs> <laughs> had they talked recently prior? <laughs> right. I no, they had never met each other. I think maybe she, he had attended like some seminar. I don't know all the details. I'll claim I don't know all the details, but I think he had been following her for years, even seen her speak in person. I don't think they were friends. But he so so was Emma Goldman responsible for inspiring him without specific direction. Although she did even write in her anarchist, I'm an anarchist, but some of them get carried away and are very violent. So she had written about like how to make bombs and all sorts of violent things, but had not specifically given him the instructions to kill the president. So, and I'm glad you bring that up because that brings an interesting point up, which is what were, what would a reasonable person, what is it reasonable to think that would happen? And so you, when you have experts coming to court and saying, well, a reasonable person wouldn't think what Trump is saying is inciting insurrection or engaging insurrection, but his people know. And there's a, you know, a subtext here. So could you say that Leanne Shogosh and Anna Goldman didn't have, I mean, she wasn't speaking to her extremists, like, you know, followers like that, and she knew. And so you get into a little bit of a, a stretch. And when we're taking rights away, okay, when we're taking somebody's right away, we have to be very sure, all right, when we're taking their lives, um, their life, their liberty, their property away, and even their right to run for office, okay? Um, you know, these are the type of things you take away when somebody's been convicted of a crime and they have had due process. You mentioned the right to run, okay, right to run for office. Mm -hmm. Yep, and so one of the big problems in this case, though, is who decides, okay? Is this a state thing or is this a federal thing? And the Supreme Court in the 
argument, um, the justices were hammering on this. They were like, well, this 14th Amendment was created right after the Civil War when the federal government was taking away power from the states and saying, hold on, guys, we're going to make sure that we have the power to have a relationship directly with the citizens, right? Before that, the relationship with the citizens went through the state to the federal government, which is why the states thought they could secede, is because the states were a confederation of colonies, right? And a lot of people looked at it like that. But that could be a whole different can of worms because there is more to it than that. I think South Carolina maybe joined the union under the uh, belief that they could secede if they wanted to. Well, I, I think Texas was, has. I know Texas believes that they can secede because but, but, but they were a country But I mean, previously. upon that they had, added, like if you and I went into a contra- contractual agreement, and when we went into the agreement, I thought I could back out at any time based on what was said in the agreement, and then down the road they're like, no, you can't do that. I haven't heard that for South Carolina. Okay. Right? But I don't know. I mean, you could be 100% right. Um, the So the problem is that when the 14th Amendment was created, it took away the state's right to interfere with a citizen's relationship with the federal government, okay? And so it basically says, these are our citizens, not your citizens. And so we get to determine what rights they have, and you can't interfere with those rights, which was good in the sense that now it says the states can't take away rights or impede rights of people who are of different colors and you know from different ethnic backgrounds, and it protected a lot of people's civil rights. Now, of course... That wasn't the end of the story. There was a lot of other civil rights work that needed to be done before we got to anything close to a level playing field, right? Fair. But that was the start. No denying that. That was the start. That said, hey, you can't get in the way of any of our citizens' rights. Don't even think about it, all right? And it needed to be kind of extreme because before that, there was, you know, no 13th Amendment, which says that slavery is prohibited. And so literally, you could have people... Human beings that had zero rights. And it was the land of the free. Right. And so that that was (laughs) a problem. That needed to be corrected. And unfortunately, our country has had a lot of grappling to do. And it was almost like this was settled, but then it wasn't settled. And so it needed to be resettled a little bit. And then it was resettled a little bit. And so we've you know, got civil rights reforms, the 1960s and things coming um, into place. And now they're still grappling with what this means, with what the Civil War means, with what the legacy of the Civil War is. And there's two different ways, well, probably more than two different ways of looking at it. You've got people who, you know, I noticed you had a guy on your podcast who answered the question, like, what was the Civil War over? And, you know, different people answer that question differently. And honestly, I always thought, it's a little bit of a side, but uh, maybe it'll be relevant. I always thought that Anybody who said, oh, well, the Civil War has fought over states' rights, they were obfuscating, right? They were saying, oh, it wasn't over slavery, okay? And the obvious answer is it's over slavery. However, now that we agree that that Civil War is over slavery, there are people today that say, well, I think states should still be able to secede, not because of slavery. I mean, I believe that's wrong, but the states' rights issue is still an undercurrent in some people's minds. Sure. So, was the Civil War over states' rights? Well, I mean, that was some of it. Now, slavery think, was the was the thing. 
It was the, the thing. And I think even Michael Rechtenwald, the guy I plan on voting for president, not mm-hmm. that he's going to get that many votes, but I'll probably give him my vote, yeah. in 2024, who came on the podcast, I think he yep. said it was over states' rights and their ability to keep slavery. He so did. his it's, his statement was something, it did include slavery. It's not shying away from the slavery thing. Oh, not at all. But not it's all. Inclu- being sure to include the states' rights. Right. And I, like I said, I used to think that that was a way of people dodging the issue. I did too. But I did too. We're still having the states' rights count. Conversation. We're not having a slavery conversation. If you see anymore. a Confederate flag on someone's car or on anything, does that what does that mean? So yeah, one of the attorneys in my office was bringing that up today and uh, talking about that. And Relevant to today's episode. Uh, well, when I yeah, we okay. were talking. Very and cool. So you know, one point he made was that the thing you see is the Confederate flag. There was a Confederate battle flag, right? It apparently it may not have been the actual flag of the Confederacy, mm. and there were lots of different battle flags that different armies had. And you know, we've got the rattlesnake flag. They don't tread on me. That was, I believe, one of the Massachusetts, um, you know, revolutionary flags. And then you've got different battle Gadsden flags. Gadsden flag. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of different things there. And I don't have any problem with anybody saying that they are offended by the Confederate flag, Confederate battle flag. Um, in fact, when we drive home from Florida yeah. or down to Florida, there's a huge, I'm talking ostentatiously huge Confederate flag flying right next to 75. And last time we drove by, I think I commented to my wife or she commented to me like, what is that flag doing there? And I think, and I don't know, I don't know, but I think it may be at a like a, Confederate cemetery or something like that, but it is inordinately large. And I'm not I'm not a person who really gets too bent out of shape by statues of Confederate generals and things like that, although I do think there's a discussion to be had there, okay? And I do think there was some choices made after the Civil War uh, to promote reconciliation that maybe gave a little bit too much freedom for the um, former Confederate states to venerate their heroes, quote-unquote, and... I think that may have been done with good intent. I don't think that they were trying to... I don't think the Northerners were trying to perpetuate uh, racism or slavery. And I've heard people say that uh, by venerating these guys. I think what they were doing was trying to say, hey, look, we've just been through a horrific thing. Whatever we need to do to get this back together and have peace, let's do it. And so they had already said all the Southerners who held office couldn't hold office again. And so there was a wave of what they called carpetbaggers, guys from the North who had a carpet bag, you know, a little suitcase, and moved to the South to become elected representatives. Mm. All right, So they already had all those guys coming down. And so and they wanted to put up some statues of Robert E. Lee and some um, Stonewall Jackson and these guys. And you know, when I was young, I mean, I read these guys' biographies, and they were always presented as people who had intense moral conflict about what they were doing. And um, unfortunately, I don't think they get a pass. All right, I, I got If you got to come down on a side, you know, unfortunately, history is written by the victors, and I think what they did was wrong. I think that fighting for the enslavement of other people, no matter how you cut it, I mean, you're on the wrong side of history. Now, I really hate that argument because they don't care they're dead right i mean they they don't care whether i think they are or not but for the purpose of the conversation where we are now in our country and i do believe we should have unity i don't think we should have homages to guys who where's the line did engage in an insurrection oh oh i was actually at andrew jackson's hermitage this past saturday my wife and i took a tour of his 
plantation. Okay. Uh, um, and he owned more slaves, I think, than any president ever. That was how he got rich after he was famous in the military. He got real rich through the slave trade. One thing I learned was prior to him, he was the seventh president. There was only two presidents who did not own slaves prior to him. It was Adams and Quincy Adams. Mm. And I think they're Massachusetts. I think they're Northerners, which kind of makes sense. But I guess my question is then, so no statues for George Washington. He owned slaves. Well, okay, so I didn't say I didn't believe in statues because they were slave owners. I said I didn't believe in their statues because they engaged in an actual insurrection against the United States. Okay, right? okay. They lost. Now, when you come to guys like Jefferson, all right, and, you know, some stuff has come to light about him that ain't so good. Sure. If you believe that he had a romantic relationship with a slave that was not based on a... Um, a mutual consent, right? I mean, if you're a slave, then you're at a disadvantage, right? I mean, you are not in the same on parity with that person who you're having sexual relations with, so you can't consent. So that's bad. That's very bad. Sure. I mean, you know, really, you just may as well call it rape, right? I mean, she, certainly by today's standards, that's rape. Well, I mean, you're right, because and we don't know all the exigencies, and I'm not gonna sit there and say I do, but. It looks bad. It looks really bad. And so I'm not going to, and I'm not going to try to say, you know, anything good about it. Uh, but I will say that when you look at the past, it is very, very tempting to pack up all our morals and all our wisdom that we've gained and bring it back and start, you know, pointing fingers. And, you know, I think there's a difference between saying what is right now and what they should have done then. I'm not saying it was right then, all right? But what I'm saying is sometimes history could be graded on a curve. And I think George Washington was the greatest president that we've ever had. And I don't think we'll ever have one like him. Um, but What I'm was not, your favorite part about him? My favorite part about George Washington is he was the richest man who's ever held that office. He was a very respected and distinguished officer in the British Army. Before there was any conflict, he gave that up. He risked his life daily in the army. He would have been hung as a criminal had he ever been captured or lost. And he literally was on the status of being a billionaire in that time. He gave everything up, was with his men at Valley Forge. He was respected by everyone. He was elected. He's the only man ever to run for president, be put up for president without somebody opposing him. And he voluntarily walked away. Yeah, I was going to say he, he came up, I think he came up with the idea of term limits for a president. He did. The idea, he could have been King George the next, all right? And the fact that he walked away from power and any man who can say, I give up power, or any man who has everything and says, I will risk everything for this cause, is somebody you got to look at. Especially if it's an admirable cause. Right. Like freedom for yourself and your, your people. Right, and now you would look at. It, I mean, according to England, he wasn't he wasn't an admirable person. Okay? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, this war was won by the bad guys in the world's eyes. Sure, I mean, the French loved it because we were fighting, you know. Um, but then, one of the most interesting things to me about um, Washington is nobody really knew what the president was supposed to be doing, and you know that everything was new. Right, the system of government was new. Um, and, you know, I think we miss a lot that we are not a democracy. We're, we're a republic. Okay. Right? 
And the system of checks and balances put in place is really what holds us together. It's not the actual voting. I mean, we could just we could just appoint people to all these positions, and the checks and balances of power would keep it from all rattling apart. Okay. okay. And so far, so good. But it's getting tested, right? So there was what was called the Whiskey Rebellion. And it was over a tax um, on grain versus whiskey that they was going on in Pennsylvania. And these farmers were rebelling. They were rioting. I mean, they were out of control. And George Washington went to his closet and got his old uniform, his general's uniform. He's an old man at this point. And he gets on his horse and he leads the army out to confront the Whiskey Rebellion. And when he got there, these farmers felt so ashamed that they had pulled George Washington out of Washington um, to come and deal with them that they all went home. But, you know, and I don't know. I'm sure he was just a man like anybody else. I'm sure he had lots of things that we don't know about. He did own slaves. They were a few slaves. And, um, you know, Slave ownership was a very complicated thing throughout the millennia, okay? And there were ways that presented itself differently. Um, I'm working on a biography of Constantine right now. And the ownership of slaves in the Roman world was a little different um, than I think what the picture of slavery that we hold from the American South. But there were people who were conflicted about it. There were people who were freeing their slaves. There were people who... Um, had different views on what it meant to be a slave and whether, um, you know, whether we should have, you know, freedom or slavery or, you know, things like that, even back in the Roman times. Um, and the place, you know, I, I come down on that right now is obviously slavery is wrong. I think that the founders created a system that would not, would not allow slavery to survive. And I think they created a document in the United States Constitution, which is flawed. And one of the things I think is the most reprehensible about the United States Constitution is the way that black individuals are counted for representation. Okay, So that's where you get the three-fifths rule. All right, So um, the South said, well, we have a lot of black people who we don't want to vote, and we've got a lot of white people who we want to vote, but we need, for purposes of representation and how many delegates we get to send to Washington, we want to count the black people so we get more votes. But we don't want them to vote. So they came up with this, uh, each black person could be counted as a three-fifths human, which is abhorrent. That's in the United States Constitution. Yeah. That's horrific because it's basically saying, I mean, they're people, but I, I don't want them to be people. And, and we're just simply uh, exploiting. We're literally just using them for the sake of the census, it, but we don't want to give them any rights. Absolute exploitation, yeah. right? Yeah. It's not, yeah, I mean, it, but it's, it's horrible. But when you say we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and those are the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, when you say those words, mm, they so, have meaning, right? Okay. And eventually, it's gonna get out, right? And so... I, you know, going back to Andrew Jackson, though, um, one of my favorite stories about him, though, and if you get to the state's rights issue versus slavery, there was, I think it was a guy in Louisiana who threatened, he was a senator or something, that Louisiana was going to leave for some reason. And Andrew Jackson wrote him a letter, and he yeah. said, I know you're not suggesting what it sounds like you're suggesting, because if you were, I would come down there and hang you. Oh, yeah. He did, yeah. And, he, you know, Andrew Jackson 
fought a lot of duels. Killed a lot of people with his own hands. Age 13, he was in the Revolutionary War. And, you know, in one sense, he wasn't a good dude. Sure. And Donald Trump's not a good dude. Whoa, you can't say that. Not on my show, you can't say that. Well, I apologize to you and the... And the Donald, Trump, there is some good things about Trump. I do think he's a relatively good father. He seems to have a good relationship with his kids. I'll give him that. But let me finish my I thought. I think here. he's funny as hell. Okay. Me, but probably not the best guy. Go but on. I'm not saying that we need a good dude. Okay. I'm not saying that Andrew Jackson wasn't an effective president. Okay. And I'm actually, I think Donald Trump did a lot of things that he does not get credit for because he created such a mess for himself. Um, you know, Barack Obama was the first president ever to have his own cell phone, right, in a BlackBerry. Before that, the president was not allowed... Really? Yes, to have a device. And Barack Obama said, guys, I'm not giving up my technology. Well, then... Fast forward, Donald Trump's tweeting at everybody. Oh my like, God. Hey, guys, I'm going to do this. Hey, guys. You that's how he got into office. Right. And that's a huge sea change, right? Um, but I'm not saying that... I'm not saying that you, all your... All of your leaders have to be great people. Right, they have to be effective people, and you know this probably gets into a little bit more of what we could talk about another time. But when you judge leaders, and you judge people like Netanyahu or Putin mm. or Kim Jong, you know, Un, you know, any one of these guys, you could look at and be like, "That's a bad dude." Somebody, somebody out there thinks those guys are bad, right? And that applies to Biden and Trump too. Well, somebody out there thinks that Barack Obama put more drone strikes on people in the Middle East than any other president there was. And that's true. So somebody out there thinks he's horrible, right? But Probably multiple people. Well, right. But um, when you're looking from a state perspective and what does it mean to be a government, you have to look at it differently than, sure. you know, do I want this guy as a neighbor? Similar to running a business. You could be right. like, well, that guy is good at running that business. I'm not making any judgment on his moral character or anything. He does a good job running that shoe store. Right. And sometimes that's what you need. I mean, you don't, say, oh, well, I want these Navy SEALs to be like Mr. Rogers. Sure. You're like, no, I kind of don't want them to be like Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Because that story about Mr. Rogers being a sniper in Vietnam wasn't actually true. He was not a sniper Oh, was he not? No. He Does he have not. long sleeve tattoos? I've heard that. That's why he wore long sleeve shirts. I, I looked into that, and from what I can tell, that was not the case because he was not in Vietnam, um, even though I do think Fred Rogers was a good guy. Um, so the point is, um, should Trump be you know, taken off the ballot? Well, we know that the um, Colorado Supreme Court has said yes, but they've stayed the ruling. They've said, we're going to wait for the United States Supreme Court to weigh in. And the United States Supreme Court, um, they said, well, look, what would happen if the you know Colorado says this, maybe Maine says that, and what if Montana comes up with a different ruling? Um, who, who is supposed to be making this decision? Well, everybody knows that the Supreme Court has the ultimate deciding vote on what the Constitution says. And the Supreme Court already picked up on this really quick, okay, because they're, they're actually very bright. All of them are. And so you had Justice Kagan and Justice Jackson, who are both considered on the liberal wing, both asking questions like this, and as well as some of them who are considered conservative, they're like, how many disputes are we going to have to go over every election? Like, literally, if the Supreme Court said each one of these state and local um, secretaries of state and county clerks can determine who should be on the ballot or not, then they're going to be flooded with a never-ending stream of decisions over who, you know, has 
disqualify themselves. And so they are probably, and I'll, I'll tell you what I think they're going to do. They're going to say. This is the prediction you teased yeah, earlier. This is the prediction. They're going to say that Trump cannot be excluded from the ballot. And they're going to do it on procedural grounds. All right? They're not going to say they're not going to say whether he engaged in an insurrection or not. They're going to say that the state court, uh, the state supreme court, and um, you know others do not have the ability to decide whether or not that um, somebody has engaged in insurrection. They're going to say that Congress, and if you look at Section Five, um, I believe it's Section Five of uh, the Fourteenth Amendment, and it says. And it talks about Congress regulating that provision, all right? And it doesn't say, oh, Congress has to decide this. But it actually, when you read it, it looks like that's kind of what they're saying, okay? And there was no doubt that in anybody's mind what had just happened in the Civil War. Um, but when you look at things like the, um, the insurrection clause and what is an insurrection, then... Um, you can actually look at when the army has been called out to deal with insurrections, and the last time was 29 years ago, I believe, in 1992. Um, I believe that's right. Um, that uh, the army was called out under the insurrection clause. What and was that? Um, what was what happened in 92? Ross Perot ran King. L.A. riots. Um, oh, okay, Rodney King. Yeah, and the governor, the governor right. of okay. California, yeah, yeah. requested. Okay. Requested. Um, so the insurrection act allows the president to. Use United States forces for law enforcement. It's the only exception uh, for law enforcement purposes to the Posse Comitatus Act. Um, you also have other exceptions that are not for law enforcement, such as the Stafford Act allows for humanitarian aid and things like that. But when you get into insurrection and things happening like that, um, I think what the court's going to say is the only person who can determine who has engaged in insurrection pursuant to the 14th Amendment is the United States Congress. Okay. And I think they're going to do that because, one, they, the Supreme Court is very adept at sidestepping conflict, all right? And they've been doing this ever since Marbury versus Madison. Marbury versus Madison was a very pivotal case in Supreme Court jurisprudence, not because of what it decided, but because of how it decided it. Because they went ahead and gave a nod to the president, but they also said in that case, but if we had decided otherwise, we are the supreme law of the land. At that time, they thought, you know, if we decide against the president, he could just say, I don't care. You know, I, and really, the Supreme Court has no ability to enforce its own rulings, right? And so if Congress said, we're not, not going to do it, you know, what do you do? If the president said, we're not going to do it, so Murray versus Madison, um, they were very clever. And um, Justice at the time, I think it was Justice Jay at the time, I have to go back and look at that, uh, said, you know, we are going to go ahead and side with the president. And it was for, you know, obscure procedural grounds. And but he said, but if we had said otherwise, everyone knows we are the arbiter of what the law is in the land. And so this time the court's going to say, we are not going to, you know, take Trump off the ballot because we are, are not going to hold that um, the Supreme Court in Colorado has the right to decide this. And we're not going to do that. Um, and so they're going to sidestep the issue very adeptly. And I do not think that it's going to be a 6-3 decision. All right? I think it's going to be about 8-1 or 9-0. So there's nine Supreme Court justices. Three of them have been appointed by Trump. Um, I guess, let me see. There's Clarence Thomas also, right? Yeah, I think he was Bush 1. I know that Roberts is Bush 2. 
Um, so there's John, Rob- yeah, Roberts, Thomas, Alito, Sotomayor, Kagan, Gorsuch. 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 Gorsuch, yes. It, who's from uh, Colorado, actually, and Trump appointed. That doesn't impact that, does it? He's a Colorado Supreme Court judge, but he's a U.S. Supreme Court judge. You know, usually people really hope that Supreme Court justices are going to be predictable, and they always turn out to be less predictable than they want. And that's the value of a lifetime appointment. They do not care. And so I don't think they've really shown themselves not willing to throw Trump a bone in other matters that have come before them. Now, some people think, well, but if they're ideologically more to the right, then maybe they'll think certain ways. But in this position, they're going to think, what is going to keep us from getting overwhelmed by a bunch of election decisions every four years? All right. That's what they're thinking. They're thinking. And they should be kind of. Well, yeah, I mean, you can make an argument. It takes them long enough to decide cases as it is. You know, I mean, they're, you know, taking a few cases every year. It takes nine months to get a decision out. And, you know, from what we know, Clarence Thomas has got fishing trips to go on. So, I mean, they've got to have a personal life, too. So, yeah, I mean. I I think there was a quote. I think it's Hakeem Jeffries uh, tweeted something in um, 2016 about the uh, election not being legitimate. So I saw, you know, they do these little memes. Even though you're not on social media, you probably see where they do a, oh, you tweeted this in 2016. What about now? And it's like election denial. He's on one side of it on this side. Does that make sense? When it's Hillary versus Trump. And then on the other side, when Trump is contesting the results of the election, he's the exact opposite side. So you get to see, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's going to slow down. And can, that cannot be a sustainable good direction or efficient for our country. Well, that's why where you sit determines where you stand. And, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier today who had been in Korea for a while. And he said, you know, in Korea, they've got a pattern. What happens is the challenger in the election comes up with something that the president has done. Sure. And they start saying, this guy's engaged in illegality, illegality, illegality. And when they win, they put that guy in jail. That is a very bad precedent. Wait a second. That's where? South Korea? Yeah. Yeah, like a death. Currently? A, yeah. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. And you see that in some other places. So like, the people often go to jail when they lose. Apparently. That's wow. What, that's what I heard. And you know, in Myanmar, we've got Aung San Suu Kyi, who's still in jail. Now, look, I don't know. Brazil's about, got some shit like that. I don't know about all these situations. I don't know whether these people are corrupt or not. You know, Benjamin Netanyahu's being prosecuted for corruption. I don't know if this is political or not. I don't know about all these situations, but I know that, you know, when... When Donald Trump was saying, lock her up, lock her up about Hillary Clinton, that was, that was a bad look. <laughs> Especially in hindsight. Well, no, but see, in hindsight, I will say that Donald Trump didn't go after her. Right? Oh, he didn't actually try to. Uh, because a lot of people become very suicidal when they go after the Clintons, and so I'm sure he just wanted to... You, you know, wouldn't advise someone to go after the Clintons. No you, comment. You probably have better things to do. Yeah, okay, yes. But, so I do give him a lot of credit for not prosecuting i think i think that rhetoric is bad now there's some people say oh this rhetoric is dangerous to democracy well we're not a democracy we're a republic and i'm hoping that the checks and balances of this republic can hold together okay but the more we fracture into two groups that's actually the danger to democracy whether or not trump is on the ballot some people say it's a danger to democracy whether he's off the ballot they say it's a danger to democracy Um, well they said chris just sub chris christie right in for him and then all the republicans will be happy (laughs) <laughs> well, they, remove Trump. Have to take Chris Christie. That'll work. They did not. If one person okay. put that up there. No, I, I listen I was, to Pod Save America. The okay, Democrat. So. I do listen to that just to see what they're saying, and they like Chris Christie. They have him on all the time. 
Well, you know, I mean, and right. I mean, politics makes strange bedfellows, they say, right? It does. And so, but I would, I would look at this more like the Republic. And in the days when Rome was teetering, you know, there was, the thing they were worried about was the Republic, the Republic of Rome, the Republic, the Republic, the Republic. And what was a threat to the Republic? You know, was a strong Caesar a threat to the Republic? Was a strong Senate a good thing, right? And there was these different factions going back and forth. And sometimes you had multiple emperors. And sometimes you had, um, you know, an Augustus and a Caesar. And it really um, is not like we thought. It was a lot more um, intricate and there was a lot more balance of power than you usually think of when you think of Rome. You just think of, oh, there's an emperor and, you know, his name is Julius Caesar and he came over and conquered everybody. Well, I mean... That was just for a minute, but then he got killed because you know, some people thought he was too ambitious, right? And some people thought, yeah, so anyway, um, I think we are going to shake ourselves apart if we polarize into groups, which, you know, some people say, well, who's doing this? You know, some people say, oh, it's, the, it's these elites. You George know. Soros. Right. Some people say it's Soros. Some people say, you know, Russia has millions of bots that are just go after somebody, call them racist and, you know, you're, you're a horrible person and just slamming people. And I don't think it matters what result they get as long as they get a result, right? They just want to foment some sort of result to keep us, you know. But who is it? They is say it, that about China too. Yeah, I mean, who's the boogeyman here? And I think really, you know, Franklin Roosevelt, who you probably hate, um, but, you know, when he said we, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, he was dealing with an unprecedented situation in World War II, right? A situation where the only thing he saw could sink us was our own division and our own fearfulness. Okay. And that's always been the case. And whenever we look at somebody and say, oh, well, you're a this or yep, you're a I'm that. Republican. Yeah. You Especially know. when there's only two options. Yeah, you're a boomer. Or you're just a... Does that make sense? If there was multiple options, it would be less tribal. Well, you know, I've often thought maybe we should go to a parliamentary system, which would be very difficult to do. But if you were in a parliamentary system, then you could vote for the person you really, really liked. And then they would go argue in Washington and, um, you know, compromise and make whatever law they could and kind of swing things your way if they could. Right now, we compromise at the ballot box and they just go do whatever they want. So you have groups like traditionally the black vote, traditionally the evangelical Christian vote, the Catholic vote, the women vote that are very taken for granted. Because if you're a woman, you're always going to vote for you know this candidate. If you're a Catholic, you're always going to vote for that candidate. If you're an evangelical Christian, you're always going to vote for that candidate. If you're black, you're always going to vote for that candidate, right? I mean, so much so that Joe Biden was like, well, if you're not voting for me, you're not black. That's what he said. And, I mean, and, and the reason he said that is not because he was a dumbass. That was kind of a funny thing to say. Didn't go over well. I mean, I I'm not saying it was smart. I didn't think it was funny. I no, but, was... But, but, but in certain circles, if that was not being recorded... Among Democrats, they would have all been like, yeah, he's right. You've got to vote Democrat. Because it reflected that he was taking for granted a sure. certain group of people. And they all do it. All politicians do it. And that's why I actually support you for voting for a third-party candidate. Okay. Um, there's some people say, oh, you're throwing away your vote. Well, if more of us threw away our votes, then the politicians would not start taking our votes for granted. They would say, hey... Um, did you know that I am very libertarian-leaning and I, I have a couple planks in my platform that you would really like, so you should vote for me, right? And that's what you want your politicians sure. to do is come to you and say, I represent you and I hear what your struggles are and I'm going to represent you in Washington. When's the last time you heard somebody say that? Well, Donald Trump said that actually. You know, He said, I'm going to go combat these guys and drain the swamp and do all these things. And, you know, I mean, turns out maybe he was just the ultimate swamp creature, but... 
He, that's what he said. He told people that. He said... And he did do random acts of kind of like that. Now, it didn't... The people he put into... On his team, didn't, they were not good choices. It didn't work out. And he did become the ultimate swamp creature, arguably. I'm not... I voted for him in 2016. Did not in 2020. Certainly will not in 2024. And, you know, I don't know that that was a bad choice on your part. I mean, I think he... He was a wrecking ball is what I liked. And he, he put in a lot of policies that a lot of presidents have been saying they were going to do. He put tariffs against China that I heard Barack Obama down here at the Marriott say that he was going to do. And you wanted that. Yes, I think China's use of their economics and the devaluation of their currency um, is something that has created a non-level playing field mm. for United States manufacturing. And I think now we're starting to get some of that back. And, you know, we've... I'm not saying everything needs to be made in America, but I'm saying it should be a fair and level playing field. And so it's very difficult for Americans to compete because we are the best place to be a worker. Right? If you want to be a worker, I mean, okay, so maybe you could say in Sweden or Germany it'd be better. But, but it, it uh, you know, Sweden, for example, is kind of difficult. You know, they're not the nicest to immigrants and it's not the easiest to find work there. You got a brother or someone who lives in one of those countries, right? Uh, well, my brother lived in Sweden for a while. Um, and so, yeah, he did have a little bit of a perspective on that. But, yeah, I mean, America's a great place to make stuff. And, you know, China's not a great place to be an employee, right? I mean, they I've been told, I've not been there, but I've been told they have nets around Foxconn because so many people were jumping off. What do you think, you know anything about, like, the Uyghur Muslims? Well, what I know is not good. What I know is not good. And I'm glad you brought that up because... You know, as somebody who's becoming so concerned about the plight of the downtrodden around the world, I think it is good that you learn about other all the downtrodden of the world and not just the ones that are foisted on you by people who have an agenda. All right. Mm. And I will tell you that if our U.S. tax dollars were funding the Uyghur genocide, which is Muslims being re-educated to not be Muslim, so still Muslims. Um, then I think, would like to think, at least in theory, I'd have more concern. But I don't think our Federal Reserve is literally borrowing and printing dollars to send there. Well, I mean, that is a point um, that you're making. And so the one thing that came up in these arguments about Donald Trump at the Supreme Court is Alito asked, you know, what about a president who gives money to our enemies? Would that be giving aid and comfort to our enemies? And the thing that I think that you're hitting on is we give money to almost everybody, don't we? Israel, Palestine, I mean... Yeah, we give money to the Taliban, okay. don't we? Yeah, I mean we've and during the Cold War, we were giving a bunch of money to Russia. Why wouldn't we? <laughs> and well, I say that tongue in cheek, right? Well, I, say I that, mean it's good business. In one sense, you know, your parents can't take away your allowance if they don't give you an allowance, right? So of course we're got everybody on the dole. And Russia and well, the Soviet Union was giving money to all their Eastern Bloc states too, and that's how they kept them in line. Cuba, where my wife's from, they, she grew up with people saying, "Oh, thank God for Russia! Look, they sent us this canned, um, you know, um, condensed milk, and we love Russia. Thank God!" And so it was trickled down. However, they got that money, right. and then it went to them. Now they love them, and they're all on the dole. So you're saying the United States doesn't support China's actions against okay. the Uyghur Muslims? I guess we do borrow a bunch of money from them. <laughs> Well, we also buy a bunch of stuff. We also have very favorable trade policies with them, which we could put more sanctions in place. We could, we could do more, couldn't we? Now, you say, yeah, but at least we're not sending them billions of dollars that we know of, right? Um, you know, where do you draw the line? And honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying we should never buy another thing from China. You know, maybe, and I'm not saying we should have put all these sanctions in place against Russia. You know, one thing that Vladimir Putin pointed out is, interview with Tucker Carlson, he was basically like, ha, 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 now that you put all these sanctions on me, I'm just going and doing business with other people. 
and well, because I mean, you're you're the ones who are using your currency as a foreign policy tool. And I don't know, you know, I'm sure there's people that are much smarter than me who are determining whether this is a good idea or a bad idea to use certain sanctions or not because everything's a double-edged sword. Oh, yeah. And so, um, you know, there are lots of people around the world being oppressed and hurt in ways that we don't care about, we haven't done anything about, we've turned a blind eye to, or maybe we've even facilitated. Um, and, you know, you go into all the governments that the United States has propped up, all oh, the um, strong men that the United States has propped up. And, you know, I'm not saying that we should have done that. I'm, and I'm not saying we should have gone and taken out the strong men that we took out. Um, you know, it's... Or that we shouldn't have. Well, I do think that we've created unintentional we've, power vacuums in a lot of places. So if we had... So for give you an example. If we had the ability with the opportunity to assassinate Vladimir Putin, should we do it? I think the answer to that is no. I don't. Okay. And it's not because he's a good dude. It's not because he doesn't deserve to go. It's because what would happen next? And when we um, you know, supported the downfall of Gaddafi, you know, Libya's like worse than ever now. And it's, you know, there's this... That's not an isolated case. That happens a lot. Right. And it's... Um, you know, we have this dream that once we go liberate people, they're going to become like this democratic paradise and everything's going to be great. And I think that's the height of self-delusion. In the one shining example of that actually working, South Korea, I just found out they just take whoever loses the election and put them in jail. So even the, the, the one shining star that we have successfully done, you heard it here first, that's a failure too. Well, I, I don't know that I consider South Korea a failure at all. I think that... Uh, you know, we have a guy who trains with us, his family, Jeff. His family's from South Korea, and I got to talk to him, and he said that they came because you have to work a lot more there. Well, I think that's true. In a lot of Asian cultures, um, they are all very hard workers. There's a culture of hard work, hard study, a lot of competition. I mean, yeah, it's... It's a different. I didn't mean type to say that his family's lazy or anything no, like no, no. that. You I know, mean, uh, quality of life here. He gets to train jujitsu. United States is a good place for if you do it the right way. Oh yeah, getting comfortable, living within your means, and then having a pretty good life. Well, right, and really, it's the smart thing to do. If you're competing, <laughs> what do you mean? if you're competing at that level with all those people, you come over here because we're lazy and we're not smart. You start competing against us, you're like, this is easy. You actually are hustling. So same thing with guys who um, go to what's called IIT, India Institute of Technology, which is like the Harvard of Harvards in India. And everybody's like trickling up, 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 up. So these guys are the smartest of the smart, right? Well, those guys come over here. They smoke the people at University of Chicago and Harvard and, you know, MIT because they have been just, you know, Working, working, working. And they are the brightest of a one billion person country. So they're coming over here and they're like, this is easy. Now doing this, you know, whatever dif differential geometry calculus you got going on here. So no, I, I think that that's smart to come over here and compete. And if you ever talked to him about what he does, I mean, it's, um, it's wow. I mean, yeah, ask him about his job next time you talk to him. Okay. And you'd be like, uh, yeah, that's... I didn't even know that job existed. So, so Aaron, I appreciate that you have now been on the podcast a few times. Yeah. A lot of different directions we can go. My brain is like a, a whatever, hummingbird or someone who gets distracted. But when we were talking about the Uyghurs, I interviewed a guy. I brag about this all the time. Dr. Asitar Bear is a professor in some real liberal college out in California. I found him on Twitter, and he came on my podcast, and he defended Joseph Stalin. 
And I asked him, because I'm a good interviewer, do you have any other controversial opinions? And he said, oh, yeah. Uyghur camps, all made up. Well, you know, it's, it is interesting because you have, to, you have to know where you get your news, right? And what did you say to that? Did you say, well, no, I've been I, there. No, actually, yeah, 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 certainly couldn't. But, but the holodomer was believed to be made up by many until, like, the USSR fell. You know, it's interesting. I, I do. I am proud of you for knowing about the Ukrainian Ukrainian genocide. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seven. I'm, million, not, I'm not like a. I'm relatively new to even reading many books. Well, it's uh, relatively new. But it, you know, it's good to have a historical perspective on what we're talking about because when you talk about things like, you know, these genocides that were, you know, seven million people dying and what Joseph Stalin was doing, and potentially, you know, and I believe the Uyghur camps are you know, real, and so I'll say what's going on there. It gives you more a perspective um, because a lot of times we're shocked. When we see children being blown up, we say this is horrific, and it is horrific, but it is not new, and it's not unique, and it's not isolated. Okay. And the historical perspective is something that's very important to, one, maintain a level of logic and reason about these things, and so we can point them in the right direction instead of being used as a pawn ourselves because our emotions are hijacked, all right? You can't allow your emotions to be hijacked by these situations. I feel you're previewing a future episode we might do. I, I, maybe I'm reading too much into your words there. Well, my words will apply to, apply to a lot of situations. And, you know, I think emotional hijacking is what has gotten us into a situation where we distrust each other, where we um, are polarized into different groups, and where we suspect people of being the other, right? And I think that, the America is built, the United States is built, the dream of this country is built on, we can come from all different places and we can be one, right? E pluribus unum. And what is being done to us in this country is the exact opposite. Unum e pluribus, right? Is out of one, we're going to make many. And I think that's our ultimate enemy. I think a libertarian, a more principled, more intelligent libertarian person who is here would make the argument, not me, that um, a bunch of individuals is much better. You know, I would love to talk to you about your ideas of anarchy, your mm-hmm. ideas about states' rights and things like that. I do have to run. No, but we're, we're, we we, we've a, got future episodes that we're going to be doing. We may even do somewhat of a debate at some point. Um, um, and, you know, I love it. I, I really appreciate you coming on. There's a lot of directions we can take these types of episodes. Before we wrap up the episode, Aaron, do you have any closing words of wisdom for anyone listening? No, not at all. Uh, not at all. I, but I do appreciate you being open-minded enough to have me come on here and just talk. And uh, I think the fact that you and I can talk, and I know there's things that we probably disagree on, right? Sure. But that makes me interested in talking to you. Okay. Because I don't believe there's too much you could say that would ever make me think, oh, I don't want to hang out with that guy anymore. But that's because we know each other very well on a per- You see me interact with my kids, with your kids. I coach your son. So, I mean, when you have those personal re- exactly. relationships, that anything we say. Exactly. Pretty, and unless I, I, like, said some real crazy shit, but, you know, I'm not going to. Right. Like and I think you're a decent human being. Thank you. And... Even if you had a crazy idea that I was like, oh, that's, I wouldn't think, oh, well, he's not a decent human being. I can't trust this guy. And so I hope that we can all talk about things Mm. in a way that, you know, if I disagree with you, I hope it's to build you up. I hope it's to give you a perspective that I think is important. Not just to say, oh, I got you, you're dumb, right? Because that would be tearing you down. And so I want to make sure that 
anytime I'm around somebody who's critical of me, that I receive that if it's meant for my good. Sure. Right? But there's a lot of people out there. You got to determine whether or not this criticism is just there to drag you down or mm, really to make you better. Where it's coming from. Right. Okay. So, no, I appreciate you and I appreciate uh, I appreciate this podcast. You've done a phenomenal job with this podcast. Super impressive. And I know that... Uh, it's an enjoyable hobby. I say it all the time. If no one listens to the episodes, I still enjoy them. Well, I had fun. And so. so I'm trying to focus on... Does that make sense? Absolutely. Like it's enjoyable. These are conversations that... You know, maybe a hundred years ago we'd been having while drinking a beer at a bar or something, but this is legitimate, enjoyable stuff for me. Yeah, and if I die tomorrow, my kids would be able to listen to this and you know hear more about who their dad is. Yep, there's so. a, a, a database out there of conversations. I love it. Well, Aaron Murphy, thank you very much for coming on the show. Of course, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll have another episode out soon. <laughs>